the and what it is is this word in the Hebrew is the word has said, which is really hard to interpret because it's a concept more than it is a word. And it's the idea that there's it's loving kindness, but in relationship towards another person. Right? So it talks about loyalty, compassion, love. Um, it's when the strong love one who's weak to the point that they're willing to stand for the weak in their strength. That's what this word is, right? So when we, when we have friends and family who are hurting because of pain for whatever reason, right? It's that moment when we sacrifice whatever it is we want, whatever we desire, in order to see them healed. That's this word, right? And we're going to see this. The word only occurs three times in Ruth. But we're going to see the idea of it from beginning to end. So, let's get started. Ruth chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. So, first thing we're given is that in the days when the judges ruled. So, this is the same time in which we find the book of Judges being written. Right? About... So, what about the book of Judges? There's some key verses that I want to look at from the book of Judges. So, we understand the time period this is written and the people during this time. So, Judges chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 says, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. So, the people who came out of the wilderness, led by Joshua, they all died. That's what that means. Alright? And there arose another generation after them, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. That's crucial to the understanding of the book of Judges. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. We get it again in Judges 17, verse 6. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's where the book of Ruth is really important. That's why it sits between Judges and 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel... You're going to have the first king, Saul, and then David, who's considered the best king of all time for Israel. So that's an important understanding to Ruth chapter 1, because Ruth, from her, is going to come David. Right? So, we'll get there. So during this time period, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah. In Judah. So there's a famine, and in this city called Bethlehem, which is two words shoved together in Hebrew, bait, which is house, lahem, which is bread. So in the house of bread, there's no bread. There's a famine. They have no food. So God has chosen someone from this town, I think, to play on this idea. And then this, so they go from they go to sojourn in the country of Moab. Moab is, the people of Moab are descendants of incest. Right? So we had, my mind went blank, Abraham and. Sarah? No, his cousin. Lot. Lot. They split ways. Lot goes to live among the people of the land. Right? And Lot has two daughters. Mm -hmm. God comes down and destroys 
the city, and he tells Lot and his two daughters to run, and his wife, right, to run to the hills and get away because he's going to destroy the city. Don't look back, or you'll be turned into a pillar of salt. Lot's wife looks back because she doesn't want to leave. She becomes a pillar of salt. Lot and his daughters escape. They live up in the caves in the mountain. While they're in the caves in the mountain, the daughters get together and hatch a plan because they have no husbands because their husbands were left behind. Well, they need children. So they get their father drunk and become pregnant with their father. And from these two come Moab. And because of all of this surrounding these this group of people, Israel has a real problem with the Moabites. All right. So even generations later, the Israelites would have seen them as children of incest. Still, if you're a Moabite, you're a child of incest. And there, we shouldn't associate with you. We should have nothing do with, to do with you. You are the enemy. And so, that's interesting because this guy's going to pick up and leave his family and his friends, his people, his country that God had just given to him, and he's going to move to Moab. So it's kind of shocking that we read this. So he, his wife, and his two sons. We haven't even got their names yet, right? You would think the first thing they would do is introduce these people. Oh, that's the next verse. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Milan and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. I think we're given this idea that they're Ephrathites to say they're from a small clan within Bethlehem. All right, because it's going to become important later on in the story because there are only going to be two people who are able to redeem Ruth. Right, not the entire city of Bethlehem, because you had to be an Ephrathite in order to redeem her. So, it says, Then they went into the country of Moab and remained there. So let's look at these names, because the names are really important, and they're interesting. Here's our family. We have Elimelech, which means God is king. That's why Elimelech seeks the Lord and does what he says, not at all, and moves to Moab. Naomi, her name means good, pleasing, pleasant. And then we have her children. She named the first one Sickly One. And they named the second one Finished or Spent One, Destroyed Death. That's their names. Um, which is telling for the rest of their story. Because very quickly, right, we got first one. We have the we get this we know about a fam- there's a famine there's a family and they're moving to Moab because they're afraid of starving to death so they're going to leave and this is our family very next verse but Elimelech the husband of Naomi dies she's left with her two sons so right off the bat almost immediately in the story the father is written out he's done. Then in verse 4, the two sons take Moabite wives. So this was clearly strictly forbidden in the Old Testament. They were not permitted to take foreign wives. 
Because oftentimes, well, consistently, when an Israelite man took a foreign wife, she brought her foreign gods into the household, and that man worshipped the foreign gods. And so God says, not allowed. And what do they do? They take Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there for 10 years. So we know dad dies, it seems, right away. Right? The sons get married. They're there for 10 years. And then both of these sons, Milan and Chilion, die. So the woman's left were left without her two sons and her husband. So Naomi now has been in a land she's not supposed to live in. She's left her family. <coughs> Actually, let's go here. So no, it go. This story seems to go very quickly, right, from bad to worse. Now it takes ten years, but there's a lot that happens in this ten years, and so it's because it's real quick for us when we read Ruth, because it goes so fast, <laughs> right? We get to the point where she says, "Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara," which means bitter, and we're like, "Dude, it's." You need to chill, right? Well, there's a lot that's happened in this woman's life. And so let's look at these 10 years that she's now suffered through because I think it's important to see all of them clearly. So she's forced to leave her home, family, and friends, right? We don't know if she wanted to leave. Elimelech was the father. He was the husband. He would have made the decision during this time period. He dies. The sons take Moabite women as wives. And then both Moabite women, ah, 10 years, there's no grandkids. There are no grandchildren here. These women are barren. Right? In 10 years, you should be having babies. And I guarantee you at this time period, they were trying to have kids. You needed kids to work the land. And then both her sons died. So now she's... This is her life for 10 years, right? There's no hope for her family. And a family legacy was so important. Who's going to carry on the family name of Elimelech? Because it should have gone through her sons to these women. Their children would have bore their name, right? And then their children's children. But no, these two guys apparently picked women who were barren. But we know they're not. So I think all of this is actually God punishing this family. I know nobody likes to think that, right? They're going to a land that he didn't want them at. Yeah. yeah. Right? They didn't seek the Lord as to what they should do, whether or not they should move to a foreign land. In fact, here's the thing though. If they had sought the Lord, I honestly don't believe he would have answered because he's already told them in the scriptures, don't live there. Right? You're not supposed to take wives from the Moabites. Don't marry there, right. You're not supposed to live there. You're not supposed to take their wives as yours because they're children of incest. So I think if they had sought him, he would have said no. Now, if they knew that, that's why they didn't seek him. Right? But either way, they didn't seek the Lord. And I believe because of that, he brings them under punishment. And this is the punishment. 
And I know it's hard. We might say, well, God... So what you're saying then is God killed these people in order to punish them. And I'm saying, um, yeah, maybe. To write this huge, amazing story called the Scriptures, and from this story that we're reading here, we're going to get a really important picture of Christ to come. Would God do that? Yeah, I think God would do that. Particularly if Elimelech was a God-fearing man. And I think we actually have proof of that. It never says that. But I believe here in a second I'm going to be able to prove that. Because I think Ruth is going to make decisions that would never be made unless that were true. Because she's going to make statements that if Elimelech and her his sons weren't followers of God, she would not be making. So, Ruth chapter 1 verse 6 reads, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So, she's decided to leave Moab. She's a widow. Right? In ancient times, there are only two things you didn't want to be. A widow or an orphan. Because what it meant was an early death. Who's going to feed you? You're, a widow's not able to feed or provide for herself. She can't own land, typically. Right? There were laws in Israel for gleaning, for widows to glean. Right? So what they did is they came after the harvesters and the stuff that was left behind and missed. They could take that. That was called gleaning. So they were able to take that stuff. Right? But most countries didn't have that kind of thing. You had to go back to your father's home and become a daughter yet again with the hope of being married off again. Or, under Leveret law, so under the law of the Levites, the law that God gave, he gave what was called Leveret marriage. And what that was is, if, and typically it was young, right? If you are a young widow and you had no children and your husband dies, you're to be given to the next in line son if he's unmarried. Right? And you become his wife. We watched a movie like that. Right? It was more modern, but... Yeah, you become his wife with the idea that he's... When you become pregnant, he that children take his brother's name. Right? And that continues his brother's name then. So there was all there was provision, right, for this lineage to continue. And so that was an important concept in an Israelite's mind. And for Naomi, she's seeing all of this fall apart. Because that line isn't going to continue for her, for Elimelech. Would have been deeply depressing for her to see. And so she looks around and says, I can't live in Moab. She's an Israelite. They probably hated her. They probably couldn't stand her. The one that was protecting her, the ones protecting her really, would have been Elimelech and her sons. Well, Elimelech's gone, and now her sons are gone. She, she really has no option but to return home in hopes, 10 years later, right, because there was a famine, that her parents haven't died, starved to death. She has no idea what she's returning to, though. So they get up, and they decide to return. 
So she sets out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Now, what's unique about this is the two widows, the younger, the daughters-in-law, right? Usually they would return to their father's house because the lineage needed to be maintained in the father's house, right? Not the mother's house. It's a weird thing. But we're going to get... It's going to be stated later even. So this is not normal. But both of these women are extremely loyal and loving and displaying chesed, that loving kindness, that loyalty of relationship, of family towards Naomi, even though they're Moabites. So then in verse 8 and 9... Naomi looks at her two daughters-in-law, right? They're Moabites, and they're returning where? To Israel. That's probably not a good idea. No one in their right mind in Israel is going to want to marry a Moabite who is a widow at that. Right? Not going to happen. So Naomi says to her two daughters-in-law, she says, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you. As you have dealt with the dead and with me, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Right? So she's already giving them a blessing saying, look, go home, get married to a husband, a man, so you can have kids. She kisses them, and they lift up their voices, and they weep. Verse 10 says, And then they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. This is really surprising to me. It speaks of a relationship that is very close for Moabites to say, nope, we're going to stay with you and return, not, not just with you to help you, but we're going to return with you to your people. right? Because they know her people aren't going to most likely be nice to them. But Naomi says to them, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? She's older. She's not having more children. Right? So the the idea of the leveret marriage, there are no brothers of these two coming that they could marry. So the line is done, is what she's saying. And in verses 12 through 13, she says again, Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She recognizes, right, she's been disciplined. And she doesn't want that to land on them. She's saying, look, if you stay with me, this is going to continue. And I don't want that for you. I want you to be married. I want you to be happy. I want you to have kids. Go do that. They weep again. They lift up their voices and wept again. <coughs> kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. This is the same word, this word clung, where in Genesis, when it says a, a 
man should leave his mother and father and cling to his wife, this is the other occurrence of it. Right? So, again, we have these words that speak of a real closeness and tight-knittedness among this family. Uh, that's unique. I think it's very interesting. It's really cool. Naomi says, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth says, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. I think this shows right here, right? She's given up these foreign gods of the Moabites. And she is now a God follower, right? She's following the Israelite God, the one true God. She then says, where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts parts me from you. She is one who has given her life right, to Jesus. She is one who is following after God. Verse 18, I think, is unique. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Right? Naomi looks at her and goes, yeah, I'm not going to convince you. I'm not going to even try. So she doesn't even try to argue with her anymore. Then in verse 19, So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? So there's a few things that we need to point out here that is are quick and easy to miss. Right? Her friends still recognized her ten years later. Oh wait. Her friends are still alive. So as bad as this famine was, people still survived. So they didn't really need to leave, most likely. Probably the only ones that did die would have been the older and the younger. Right? When you have famine, that's who suffers the most. Right? It's older people and younger people, children. So they could have remained at home with their family this whole time. She might still have her husband and sons. It appears that Elimelech acted the fool in not seeking and trusting the Lord. So Naomi looks at them and she says, Do not call me Naomi, right? Which means pleasant, good. She says, Call me Mara, which is bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So how full did she really go away? They probably left everything behind. right? Now she had her family. But they left to live among the exiled enemy of the state. A people born of incest. I don't know how full I would have felt leaving 
and going to live in a place like that. Has she returned empty? Oh my goodness, what the heck? Does she not recognize who it is with her? She completely ignores the fact that Ruth is there. Now it's easy to poke at Naomi here, right? The hard and the bitter truth is that if we allow pain and loss to not heal, we become bitter just like she is. Mm -hmm. And we will completely miss the blessings God has placed right in front of our faces. Right. Right? Just like Ruth. Ruth has been so loyal to her. Right? Ruth is going into a country that hates her in order to support and care for her mother-in-law. To show her this loving kindness that is rarely spoken of between humans, but is almost always in the scripture spoken of between God and mankind. This is a God-like love almost. Right? That's how beautiful and pure this love is that she has for Naomi. So, Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, as though we didn't know she was a Moabite, and she's from Moab, right? The, the author is hitting this really hard because of how unique it was that she chose to do this. And they came to Bethlehem, the beginning of the barley harvest, right? Still, again, playing on this idea. Barley, which is made to make bread, and you're returning to the house of bread, where God would have sustained you if you had trusted him. But you didn't, and now you have suffered. There's several lessons to be learned just from this first chapter alone. First, do we seek the Lord for what we have, for what he would have us do, particularly in difficult and trying times? Do we seek God? Do we fall before him and ask him for guidance? It's easy in the good times to say, Lord, um, what should I do here? But when it's hard, the honest truth that we want to be the ones making the decision. We want to decide what we do, just like Elimelech did. And we should, just like Elimelech, not be surprised that if we make the wrong decision, God is going to bring discipline. And the idea of the discipline is for correction, so that we do the right thing. Right? God is a good, loving Father who corrects His children. And He will do that. So we need to seek Him and seek Him first. Second, how do we handle loss? We all have, everyone here has and will continue to face loss in our lives in one form or another, right? We'll, we're going to, all of us, lose family and friends. Most of us lost someone this last year alone, right? The next coming years will probably mean more loss. And if it's not family or friends, and people, there may be loss of jobs, loss of health, right? There are so many losses and pains that we can suffer. How do we handle that? Will we be like Naomi and allow bitterness to take root and blame God for everything bad that comes our way? I believe full well that God brought all of this into her life as a means of discipline. But when we are disciplined, 
Will we sit around and whine about it? Or will we be like Ruth and follow after God? Right? Ruth knew that she was going to return to Israel because it's where God wanted her to be. And so she went after him. If we allow difficult and trying times, even discipline from the Lord, perhaps, to grow bitterness within us, because that's what she's doing, right? It's not just the difficult times. This is correction that God is bringing, and she's getting bitter over the discipline. Now, I wish that were something new, but we've all disciplined children and seen them get upset and mad at the fact they got in trouble when they knew they did something wrong. So there should be no surprise that they're in trouble, but they're surprised. Right? And it's easy to sit and we can laugh at kids because they do that, but we're not always all that different. (laughs) Right? And so we've got to be careful not to allow that root of bitterness to take root in us over what God brings into our life. We need to accept it, see it for what it is, and embrace it. Because if we don't, it will grow like a poison. And the problem with this poison of bitterness is that it has a tendency to affect and spread to others. Yes. Naomi's bitterness almost forced Ruth to return to her people and follow after false gods. But God. How different would our lives be if we didn't allow bitterness to ever take root. If when we felt it coming, if when we saw it coming, we pulled it out. If we turned our lives over to God and allowed Him to remove that bitterness. Right? If we asked Him when we saw it coming, Lord, I see this, it's coming, and I need your help. Remove it. It's going to be painful. It might hurt. Because oftentimes we want to hold on and caress our bitterness. Because there's something fun in being angry at people, right? Which makes no sense. But we all do it. We all have that thing. Perhaps it'd be a good thing for all of us this next week to ask God to show us anything bitter within ourselves. And if it's there, to allow Him to apply His healing hand to that area and bring peace and joy. Because you see, bitterness is the opposite of peace and joy. Bitterness only brings resentment and anger. But when we get rid of that bitterness, right? because Ruth didn't allow that into her life. Ruth had every reason to be bitter. She lost her husband. Right? How painful that is. And now she's made the decision to leave her family and friends and move to a land where she expects people to not be very pleasant with her. She is walking into a situation she expects to die of hunger because there will be no one to feed her. And yet because she doesn't allow this to happen, look at her words. They speak of a peace and a joy that can only come from God. Amen. Amen.